Welcome everybody to the Over the Top Dronecast. I'm your host Carter and today's episode is a topic that might be a bit of a grudge purchase for some people and the salvation of others. It's the eternal, eternal topic of making sure you're safe and whatever you're doing is safe as well. And ensuring your gear is a big topic at this moment and we've had some interesting instances in the past with drones. And today's guest is no one else than Daniel Blomiris from Unicorn Insurance Brokers. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hi Carter, thank you very much for inviting us. And um, I look forward to talking to you tonight. Thank you, Daniel. And thanks for the little pre-chat we had. I think it was very enlightening. And it's always nice to learn new things, especially in the insurance industry that I'm no professional at. I don't have a lot of Um, hands-on experience, especially when it comes to drones. Daniel, can you just maybe give us a brief introduction of yourself and then give us a bit of introduction about Unicorn Insurance Brokers? I started out in the insurance industry in about 2007 at a very small brokerage in in Pretoria. Uh, I was born and raised in Pretoria. That brokerage grew up to be a very large um, game player in the industry, but I always wanted to do something different, something not everybody does. And um, we went into, I actually started looking into aviation insurance, into thinking of maybe I should become an aviation broker and and start specializing in the field. And it was about in 2015 when a friend of mine came to me um, and they were selling drones and he brought, brought it under my attention. I can still remember it, we were sitting at a spur having some lunch, kids were playing around and yeah, he told me about a 700,000 Rand drone that they want to insure and I had no clue what to do. Uh, I didn't even know how the thing looks, I didn't know what it did because all of us grew up with, with Sama airplanes. It was, it was a small fixed wing or a small copter that that your uncle built and and they were flying with it in the fields and all of that and um yeah i went home that evening and i told my wife this is something way different i've never heard of it and i started looking into this this industry and um i went back and asked asked a friend again listen so what is the story and why are you guys looking for insurance is it only to cover the equipment and we actually found out that there was uh, uh, rules and regulations being set out by by South Africa the Civil Aviation Authority and that's when part 101 came in so regarding the the drone insurance and building it to just cover the equipment the biggest thing we got is our clients were instructed to actually have third-party insurance and yeah, I went into the space and I looked into a lot of clients and, and game players in the industry, but we all started with manned aviation and, and asked them to help us. But the biggest factor that we got with this thing is people didn't understand that you can't put a Boeing 747 on your back and walk around with it, but with a drone you can. So our biggest thing was um, we had to get a policy that was ground-based as well as air-based, but also had all the aviation uh, cover that that you require so yeah we started this product and um, I started with unicorn insurance brokers and we created the first comprehensive drone policy in South Africa and from there on this is what we do and what I do on a daily basis that's that's interesting and I take it the fact that uh, there's there's ground and there's air factors involved with drones just that makes the spectrum of risk much higher and then <laughs> adding to that, I mean, it's a brand new industry. Um, having data available, the base thing about insurance is you calculate risk and based on how much the risk is or high or how low, you kind of get a price and then you obviously have to look at a lot of factors. So I take it South Africa starting out at that time, there wasn't a lot of data sets for you available locally 
to get your data from. So you probably looked abroad for those data sets. Am I correct in that assumption? Uh, yes, actually, uh, you, you're very well on point because when we started this thing in, in 2016 and, and started creating the platform, we were just talking about this. But when I knocked on any insurer's door, um, and I'm talking about big role players, none of them actually wanted to step up and, and take the risk. Everybody was scared because what is a drone? What is this thing doing? Are there any rules? Do you, do you need a license? Is it um, th this thing can fly over buildings? It can take pictures of people. And it was a very scary factor. But yeah, we, we had to, to look at what the rest of the world was doing. And I have to be honest, the first two years, it was a learning school for everybody. The same with the, the commercial operators in South Africa. Most of the big guys today waited three, two to three years to get their license. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it was difficult times, but we're very involved, we're very evolved, and um, the product has grown dramatically, and, and we, we actually expanded the, the product to a, a factor where we can now cover way more than what we started out right at the beginning. Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely challenging times, but it was also it was fun. Um, as I said, it was something new. It was something nobody was doing, and it was something we could focus on to to make a, a bigger thing. I think I think one thing that's very very nice what you just said, and lots of good points in there, Daniel. And thank you for them. I think it's it's imperative, and I think your appetite for risk. You went in into a completely. Uh, new industry there was very little known about it at the time and you guys went in hard I think did it pay off to be an early adopter and being kind of like a leader and a pioneer in the market if you look at your market share now did that risk you took actually did it pay off um, so definitely it did um, yeah we're, we're a little bit more evolved than, than uh, some of the other uh, brokers out there but uh, again this is a learning school it all goes on how fast you can learn and how fast you can understand the product and what it is all about but for us we we want to give our clients the peace of mind that they know that they're working with a specialist that actually understands what a Zenmuse X7S is with a 35 millimeter lens or, or what is a, a TB55 battery um, can it be fitted onto Inspire 1? No, it can't. It goes on to a to an Inspire uh, Matrice to a, a 200 or Matrice 600 or all of that. So the jargon was very difficult at the beginning. And, and we worked with clients and most of them came to us telling us, listen, we want to ensure a Ibotics or we want to ensure a Wingtra. These are new crafts, things that, that come into the industry and there's no data on it. Nobody knows um, what these drones can do, uh, but the creator or the manufacturer of that, that drone is actually very involved and um, yeah, they did all the testing. So we just need to work together with the manufacturers and um, yeah, look at the data. But it definitely, it counts in our favor that we understand the industry. We, we know what our clients need and what they require. Um, but the scary factor where we started was, uh, I, I still remember the first day, uh, our first client, we, we signed up, came to me and he said he's got a Matrice 600 uh, with a yellow scan mapper on it. And to be honest with you, that day was, well, great, we've got a client now, but the, the sum insured that I need to insure now is most probably at that stage was about 150,000 Rand for the drone. And um, we looked at a LiDAR mapper, which is built by Yellowscan, and that was at that stage about 1.8 million rand. So to go to an insurance company and tell them, listen, guys, we're going to insure this thing now, um, but you've got no data, you've got no other clients actually supporting this risk, um, and for them to take on that risk was, was amazing. So with the insurance companies we, we work with, they all took risk with us and um today we're all very grateful for that that's 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 a great story and it's it's always it seems like the payload or the attachments and the gear of the drone in many cases seems to be much more expensive than the aircraft itself 
which is <laughs> which is quite something for me. I see that a lot. And and I'm actually very happy that you guys know what you're talking about. You you know drones, you know exactly, you know the attachments, you know the different types, and, and you know how to insure them. And I think as any insurer in their field, you know, you should know what what you are insuring. You can't insure something and have no idea what you're doing. I think there's a lot of <laughs> you'll you can get yourself into uh, quite a pickle real quick if you if you choose to walk that path. And it's good to know that Unicorn has taken the time and you know, like you said, it was a hell of a school day for you guys probably getting to know all all the slang. I'm still I'm still learning a lot of it. I mean, I've I've only recently started this podcast and the aviation industry as a whole, you know, there's so many abbreviations, it's insane. And everyone's just throwing in mid-conversation all these abbreviations. And I'm like, I have to stop you there. Can we take five steps back? And can you just explain abbreviation A, B, C, and D to me? <laughs> Tell me what it is about. Because uh, I, I work in the IT industry. So we also use some abbreviations. And sometimes you have to take two steps back when you speak to someone that has no point of context of what you're talking about. And you have to take two steps back. So for me, it's always fascinating to do new things, and especially in the drone industry, it's quite it's quite fun, and it's quite it's been quite a journey for me as well. Uh, Daniel, then on that note, um, can you maybe tell me a bit more? Um, obviously, one of the questions that I have, one of the first ones, is what's the diff, the big difference that you see, or talk a bit about the recreational market where people fly for fun and for recreational purposes. Um, how that lands, what that landscape looks like, and then the commercial market where people actually use drones, like you mentioned earlier, the Zen uses as such, those are usually more used towards, and the mapping, it's usually uh, geared more towards commercial endeavors. Can you maybe speak a bit on the that landscape, you know, to our audience, tell us a bit what's happening there in both of those landscapes, what it looks like, and uh, yeah, that would be a, a good way, I think, to start this off. Yeah, sure. So, Carter, to, to start at the beginning, we our first policy we wrote and the first product we designed was purely for the commercial space. Um, we didn't even look at the recreational platform, and I think it was up until about 2018 when the first recreational drone insurer actually came into play. So, for the first two years, everybody was feeling and and seeing what's going on. But the first product designed in South Africa was actually for the commercial space and to help the guys that actually require the insurance for their um, companies and their, uh, in, in jargon terms now, their ROCs, which is the Registered Operator Certificate. So to get back to the, the recreational side, we, we've got a platform for our hobbyist pilots. The reason we created this was we found that I'm going to say 1% of the industry is commercial-based, and this is now talking on the insurance base. So most of the policies that we, we have is, is commercial, but the highest number of drones out there currently flying is more recreational space. Uh, if you look at the numbers that the DJI sell for hobby uh, drones, it's way more than what you get on your enterprise drone. So we had to develop a, a product that, that actually goes both ways. So the commercial space is completely not built for a hobbyist pilot due to, excuse me, due to the rules and regulations that, that you've, that's been set out by the SACAA. But mostly, um, these guys also have expensive equipment. Um, if you look at a, a Mavic 2 Pro today, you're looking at about 28,000 Rand. That's just for the drone or make it 30,000 Rand, depending on where you buy it from. But most of the guys buy a fly more combo with it. So in total, you're looking at a 36,000 Rand worth of equipment that you carry around and that you can actually put in your girlfriend's handbag. It's so small. So, so we had to look at these guys as well. And the biggest reason where it came into a lot of the insurance companies, when they found out what drones actually were and what they were doing, they stopped insuring them. Um, these large insurance companies, unfortunately, I can't mention everybody's name now, but, but very large insurance companies that actually exclude drones completely of their policies. So we had to create a policy that covers the, the recreational pilot for 
for danger to his equipment. Uh, again, ground-based cover should he, it get stolen out of his car. And then also when he goes and flies and takes photos of his family or scenery that he goes on holiday for, uh, these guys, that's what they want to do. They want to fly and they want to enjoy the, the, the I'm going to call it a toy. That, that is why they bought it. Um, so we had to create a policy that is strict onto the rules and regulations that is set out for the SACAA. And yeah, our policy is designed around that. It's the same as if you buy a car, but you don't have a driver's license, you won't be able to get insurance because you're actually an illegal um, driver. So with the drone industry, there's a lot of... Um, fights between hobby pilots and commercial operators because a lot of guys see that you are doing this now for commercial use instead of just being a, a hobby pilot. But our policies are very strict when it comes to that. We look at a recreational pilot as a hobby guy. That's what he is. Uh, he flies hobby. Uh, he enjoys his drone. He flies within the, the perimeters and the rules set out by the SACAA, and he just enjoys his aircraft. But if it comes to a commercial space, it's a way different animal. These guys spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort in getting licensed, getting their proper paperwork, and also spent a lot of money on equipment. So the, for the drone industry as, as a commercial space, um, the commercial guys and the ROC operators uh, are actually carrying this, this industry as a whole. And um, for them to be in this space and, and to operate legally, it's, it's not nothing. Uh, it, there's a lot of money spent and a lot of teething processes. And um, it's not just buying a drone, getting a license and flying tomorrow. So our commercial-based policy is, again, now based for an ROC operator, which, as I said, is a registered operator certificate. In your previous podcast that, that I listened to, uh, you touch based on, on what the commercial operator does. So, yeah, they need to have all the paperwork in place. The pilots need to be licensed. All the aircraft need to have a RPAS letter of approval, which we call a, a RLA. Um, and, yeah, from there on, they've got an air service license that they need to keep up that needs to get audited every year by the CAA. And... Um, for a commercial operator to fly a drone, it's a requirement from the SACAA that you have to have third-party li liability insurance. So that is the difference between a commercial operator and a hobby pilot. A hobby pilot can take out insurance because he wants to insure the equipment that he, that he bought and, and he doesn't want to lose it. For a commercial operator, he is told to actually take out this insurance. There's no other way around it. They have to have it. And that's unfortunately the, 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 the wrong, or not, not the wrong side, but not the nice side. Um, it, what I would have loved, um, just purely if all drone operators had third-party liability insurance, because it's not only your equipment, it's what your equipment can do to, to any people around you. So yeah, that's yeah, that's quite thorough. Thanks, Daniel. I think that was a very good picture that you painted. And you know, speaking of previous podcasts, there's always a bit of a, let's call it a dance that <laughs> the commercial pilots do versus the recreational ones. So as you mentioned, you know, um, usually the commercial ones are well covered regarding third-party insurance, where commercial uh, um, the hobbyists will not necessarily have that third-party insurance. And uh, when, when, when the, the popo does hit the fan, uh, there's usually a bit of a tussle and a back and a forth. And uh, yeah, I, I understand that completely because I know that the professionals in the industry, they, they're very careful at what they do. They don't want to overstep their bounds or push the boundaries. You know, they know their own limits and they know the limits of their equipment as well. And then uh, sometimes the hobbyists will be a bit more cowboy-esque, as you mentioned previously in my um, <laughs> one episode, and we'll maybe touch on it again quick, is when I almost sunk my drone on day two because I didn't know <laughs> when, when, when my drone lost signal, what it will do. Will it hover? Will it come home automatically? 
or where it land. And unfortunately, that day I was over a body of water and it wanted to land. <laughs> and uh, I tell you what, I ran like a bolt over that field. And luckily, just in time, I was able to get it back into the air. But that's when I realized, like, I should really read the manuals and really, like, go do a deep dive on safety before I fly anymore. So, yeah, it was kind of like a little wake-up call for me back then. Well, the first thing you should have done is you should have taken out drone insurance. Then you wouldn't have stressed so much. <laughs> Daniel, I'll tell you what, well played, and we'll definitely have that discussion offline. <laughs> Daniel, then um, that's, again, sage advice and, and, and the easy sell right there. Um, <laughs> then I think what we can touch on then, you, you touched on it briefly after you explained the difference between the commercial and then the hobbyist kind of um, landscape at this stage. Can you maybe, I think then an important question is, why is third-party liability important? And then you can actually touch on why you should build a case study for why you should be insuring your drone and equipment and maybe have a third-party liability policy as well. If you can maybe talk towards that for a bit, why that really matters. Perfect. So third-party liability is, is straightforward. It's the same thing as what you get on your car insurance. If you drive a Volkswagen Beetle and you drive into a Porsche, uh, the guy from the Porsche is not going to let you just drive off and smile and wave. He's going to come after you and you're going to pay for his damages to his vehicle. But it's the same with uh, drones. So the problem when it comes in with aviation and the terms when it comes to uh, liability insurance, the guys need to understand that if you drive into a car, the, the how can I say, the, the, the term is that you need to prove, um, the third party needs to prove that you were negligent. So with that in mind, if you start a drone and you take it into the air, you are the pilot in control. And in aviation, it comes down to the point where if that drone comes down, you are at fault. You had to do everything in your power to keep that drone away. Uh, it's the same with manned aviation. If, uh, uh, let's say, a wing or a part of, of the airplane comes loose and it falls through a person's house, you as the airport owner or the, uh, the, the airplane owner or the, the pilot, everybody's going to be held liable for it. So third-party insurance was brought in by the CAA as part of, one, as, as part, of part 101. And um, it's a requirement that you have a minimum of 500,000 rand third-party liability. So this was set out by the CAA. And um, we actually got into this space due to that condition that is set out by them. So our minimum that we offer, and it's, it's straight through the board, um, that we offer all our commercial operators is a minimum of 2.5 million liability. If anything goes wrong, it can either go badly wrong or everything can be fine. But under the hobbyist space, we've also got, we had to add that, that, that portion in. So I'm just going to give you some examples of, of situations, what we had, and um, this will just draw you a picture. And I'm also going to talk about an a incident that, that happened in, in 2015. Uh, it's something I read up and something I, I, I read on, on a, on a web page. But we had an incident where a drone was flying on, on a farmer's field and they were doing power line inspections. And for some reason, the, the drone um, lost its bearings or malfunctioned, as they said and it clipped one of the power lines. With that ha happened, uh, or w with that accident that occurred, the power line actually came down and um, it set alight the, the farmer's field. So the whole side of that farmer's field burned down with the drone that, that exploded due to the high power voltage. But more than that, we, we paid for the drone to get that repaired or replaced in, in this matter. But we also had a third party where the farmer felt, listen, you are liable for, for the damages that I have on my, on my field. So these are third party things that you need to look at. Um, it's not always flying into a car or flying into a building. But then you've also got the very grim side of it where 
it comes to human beings. Um, we see a lot of footage and a lot of videos that, that's uploaded by YouTube of people taking beautiful photos of their families or chasing their kids around with drones and, and playing with the things. But there was an incident in 2015, and again, I'm, I'm just saying what I read, so it, luckily it didn't happen in South Africa, but it's a case that happened in, in the UK where, uh, again, family friend was flying with his drone and they were taking beautiful pictures and the next moment the drone hit the branch and it came down and it hit an 18 or 18 month old baby um, young boy in the face and it actually clipped his eye um, yeah if you think of things like that this is where third-party liability comes into place so it's, it's a very scary factor but for me it's one of the biggest things that that people don't take into account, but it's actually the first thing that you need to to take up for drone insurance. That makes a lot of sense. And um, in, in all my episodes, you'll you'll see uh, op drone operators. You know, they, they take safety and liability very seriously. It's a non-negotiable, and um, it's good to see that that's kind of the the rule of the day. And people seem, especially professionals, seem to take that very seriously. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a very grim story when, when humans get involved or even property or livelihoods. And like you say, you know, a, a, a routine uh, power line inspection, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, things go south and you've got a case of arson, you've got damage to property, uh, the drone is no longer there. You know, I might even imagine the power company also was like, unless it was them inspecting and it wasn't the third party, you know, they might have even be some more lawsuits there depending on the nature of these inspections so if they're working maybe with a contractor doing that work you know it, it can become very expensive real quick and then when it comes to human lives and humans being injured you know knowing where to fly um, another thing that I know like my previous interviews is like you don't go around flying over people you always try to avoid that in general that's the kind of rule of thumb because exactly like that accident you know, if people just, if they are cognizant, and I think this is maybe where, this is why the hobbyists and the commercial guys have so many fights, the, the, the hobbyist might be a bit more cowboy in their approach, and they take unnecessary uh, risks, and I think that rubs the professionals and commercial pilots the wrong way, because at the end of the day, this is a community, and uh, if, if someone is not carrying the line, and they're not doing things right, it reflects badly on all the drone pilots. And I think that's why they're too serious about that. So so I agree with that 100%. But you have to understand that a hobby pilot buys his drone for the sole purpose of enjoying the drone. A commercial operator buys his drone for work that he's going to do with it. He's not interested in taking a selfie with his girlfriend or anything like that. He wants to operate with his drone and he wants to use it. A hobby pilot, firstly, it's it's a toy and they want to enjoy it and, and I fully feel for it. I love drones. Um, I fly myself and, and I'm completely not a, a good pilot, but that's why they purchase it. So you, everybody has their space in, in this, this industry and... Um, as I said, there's two ways to this whole thing, but my biggest thing is that people need to just, before you do anything, think of people around you, buildings around you. Um, as you said, don't fly over people, stay 50 meters away from any object, road, um, or things like that. And if you're a commercial pilot, um, fly within your, your RPL rules and regulations. Um, these guys are trained very professionally and we've got great training schools in South Africa um, so yeah as I said just stay within the rules have fun but have fun responsibly if you're a hobbyist that's kind of the <laughs> definitely we, yes. we can both agree to that yeah. so <laughs> yeah now I'm, I'm also with you I don't want to sound like the one that's taking away from the hobbyists I'm a hobbyist myself and I really enjoy it yeah. um, but speaking to fellow airmen, um, I have become a bit more responsible uh, just by virtue of listening and, you know, being part, you know, more involved in the communities and, you know, just reading up a bit more about best practice. So I try to have fun in a kind of responsible manner. 
and uh, yeah, not I try not to be the, the biggest cowboy in town. Yeah, this but is you're right. I so think you, it's yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, no, it's always it's always <laughs> nice, well played, and it's always nice to have some fun as well while you're at it. Uh, but yeah, just don't uh, go go too far and enjoy yourself so much that you start you don't take you know your environment and other people into account. So that's maybe just the takeaway there. I agree. I yeah, agree. Uh, Daniel. The next thing that I want to ask you, if if you are insured, how how does that work? Can I can I go and take my drone out to another? country can i go if i fly to the us now am i covered is it only in certain borders and airspaces what's the kind of 101 on that so um you can definitely take your your drone overseas um again it's it's built for that um but you need to firstly find out from your insurance company if they will cover you outside of the borders of south africa a lot of the recreational companies only cover you in south africa they won't even cover you in Lesotho or Mozambique or something, uh, Swaziland or so, some of our neighboring countries. When it comes to the going overseas, Thailand or Maldives or all of that, the first thing that you should do before you start up your drone is read up about civil aviation rules and regulations of that specific country that you're in. In the States, for instance, they've got rules for each state. So even if you're in Virginia, it's not the same as what it is in Texas. If you're in Miami, it's not the same as what it is in New York. So you need to read up in, into the, the area where you are. And there's, there's a lot of nice web pages out there that, that's easy to, to, to read and, and easy to go through. So we normally tell our clients, just go and look at uavcoach.com. Yeah, it's an excellent website, and the guy that actually designed this website spent a lot of time on, on getting info off the, the various CAA platforms right across the, the world. So, yeah, there's different uh, rules for, for, every, for everybody. Um, the first thing, as I said, look at what they say. The fact that we've got a, five, a 50 meter away from any personal building is not the same as what it is in Indonesia. In Indonesia, you, for instance, have the factor where they just tell you you need to stay away from airports and you can fly anywhere. Um, but that is, again, are, are you sure that is the correct rules? Is, is that what it is? We had an incident in, in Fiji with one of our clients and, yeah, he lost his drone. So... These are things that you need to take in consideration when starting up your drone and always make sure that does your insurance company pay, pay should a claim occur and may you fly in this area. Something very strange um, that I read up on is, I actually didn't know this, but if you go and fly in Maldives, you have to go to the uh, National Defense Force and go and get permission to fly at, in Maldives. And if you book your plane ticket and you've got your Mavic 2, it's the last thing you're going to think of. And that's how actually how strict they are on, on these islands. And um, the biggest reason for that is they've got um, airplanes coming in and out the whole time of, of people dropping off tourists and, and, and remote destinations. So, as I said, firstly, make sure that you may fly in that country that you have permission to do so, and if you may, um, as a hobbyist pilot or a commercial pilot, uh, stay within those rules and regulations because you can get held liable for it. That's sound advice again, Daniel, and thank you for that. So, crux of it is go read up a bit. I will post that um, UAV coach. Um, I'll add that to the show notes. I think that's a very valuable resource for our listeners and audience. And I think also for your audience as well. So the more they know, the better they'll be able to not cross maybe some lines in some countries and forfeit their insurance as such. And I don't think that's a good idea ever, is it, Daniel? I agree 100%. It's all about education, Carter. And the guys just need to realize what they're doing, where they're flying, and how they're operating. Um, we as insurers look very strictly when it comes to the rules and regulations set out for any country. But again, with the data that we've got and the data that we can pull off the black box on that drone, um, we can exactly see where you fly, uh, where you operated, what you did, 
and um, we can, we're not tracking you, but if an incident occur, the first thing we ask for is for the flight logs. And so it's not a fact where you will be flying in Maldives and tell me, yeah, I had a crash in Cape Town. With the data we can pull off the drone, it, it's definitely possible. So we had an incident where, where people came to us and asked us, listen, but if I go to Thailand, how, am I gonna, how are you going to know that I crashed my drone in Thailand, but I had a flyaway, um, you don't have the drone. So the data is actually stored on the app that you use. And it's one of the conditions that most of the insurance companies ask for is that you don't manipulate the data or delete it or something. That's being fraudulent and not being straightforward with the insurance company. So the nice thing about drones, it, it goes both ways. The insurance company can see what happened. We can, we can trace the whole situation. Um, let's say, for instance, your drone was fine, but somebody got hurt. We can go back and we can look at the data and we can, we can see exactly what, what happened there. But on the other side, it's also a situation for the insurance company to get out all the bad people that try and put through cowboy claims and try and, and put through illegal uh, claims to for because there's a lot of fraudsters out there. So these are things that, that you have to take in consideration before flying. That's that's very interesting, and I'll I want to ask more a bit about the data side and and how they are investigated, Daniel. But I think um, today on our post we actually men mentioned, and I had a good laugh, um, probably at the guy's expense, about the Kempton drone incident, um, <laughs> which is which is a very very interesting one. If you can maybe tell that story again to the audience, what happened there? Uh, you're talking about the one with the with the microwave beam. I'm just, just checking. No, no, no. The, the guy that, that bought the drone, his first drone, and he went up to oh, the roof yes. of the mall. Yeah, so, so that was in, in that, yes, that was way back, Carter. It's also, again, story that I heard. <laughs> we didn't pay out the claim. It wasn't part of us. Um, the guy bought his drone. It was actually here in, in, in Menland, in, in Pretoria. And um, I was very excited, and he's going to go fly his drone, and didn't look at rules and regulations, and it was still 2016, and everybody's just excited to to buy a Phantom 3. Yeah, and he went up, started the drone, and yeah, first wall he got in Menland's parking lot, crashed the drone, so completely demolished and, and gone, right off. Uh, at that stage, we did have repair shops and all of that in South Africa as we have now. So, yeah, it's a learning school for, for that guy. But, yeah, these things happen. It's, it's quite an expensive one. <laughs> one hell of a downer. Can you imagine the disappointment at that moment? And you're revising all your previous life decisions, I think, right there on that spot in Mendland's parking lot and crying on the inside a little bit, don't you think? <laughs> I definitely agree with that. So, yeah, that's, these things happen. That's unfortunately drone accidents. Um, a friend of mine always says, it's not, it's not if you're going to crash the drone, it's when you're going to crash the drone. So these things happen. It's what they are. For sure. Then I actually wanted to ask with, well, let's call it the forensic investigations that you guys do when you, when you muddle through all the data and you pull it from the craft. Do you have in-house experts or do you, do you have external guys that you get in on a per case basis? How, how do these investigations work, uh, Daniel? That's quite something that I'm curious about. So from, from our brokerage side, as I said, this is a very small industry. Um, there's not a lot of role players in this industry that, that operates in this space. But our brokerage, um, most of the data gets run through me and all claims get assessed by me and I do a complete full analysis of the drone incident, what happened, so that I can give all the data through to the insurance company and explain my client's case. So it's, it's, a, it's a service that we offer to all our drone clients. If you're a hobbyist pilot or you're a commercial operator, if you're insured under Unicorn Insurance Brokers' um, brokerage, um, doesn't matter with which insurance company we placed you with, but it's, it's a thing where I want to get involved and I want to see what happened and we need to assist our client. So our first priority is to help our client in whatever way possible. Um, obviously within the rules and regulations of, of what happened. And we had situations where some of our clients unfortunately did not fly uh, in areas where they were supposed to and those claims got repudiated. It's what it is. 
So as long as you fly within the rules and regulations set out by the SACAA and according to our policy wording, we will pay your claim. Uh, if you unfortunately are in breach of that, I will firstly inform our clients directly and tell them, guys, we're going to put it through to the insurance company, but please note, I picked up the following. So yes, we do track the, we do take the data, we do look at the flight logs. Uh, it's the first thing I ask for on all our claims. And yeah, we've also got outside uh, assessors that we used. It's all manned aviation pilots that came into the space. Um, some of them I work very closely with and some of the other brokerages or on some of their clients, um, they will contact us and say, please help, let's, let's get some of the data through and could you maybe give some advice on this? So yes, we have assessors, we have to have assessors. Us as a brokerage can't make decisions for the insurance company. So all that we can do is we can supply them with the data, we can supply them with the information and what we found of the data. And then it's, it's their decision uh, on the end to, to decide whether they're going to pay the claim or, or what's going to happen. Um, the assessors also get involved, especially when it's large sums of insureds. Um, we've got, I'm um, busy with a current claim that's, that's almost about 500,000 Rand. So, yeah, these are large numbers. It's not something that you play around with and you just write a check and, and you carry on. We need to make sure that all the checks and balances have been done and that everything's in play. I like it. And it's very interesting. So, it's Daniel Blumiris, insurer in day and forensic drone investigator in the night. Is that kind of your hybrid role sometimes, Daniel? <laughs> no, Carter, please. That is, that is completely not what I'm doing. <laughs> no, this is I just had to. I just had to. No. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. But, but, but I, I think you seem very detail-oriented. So I think if you, if you one day want to become a forensic drone investigator, I'll, I'll give you credit where you it sounds like you'll be a good one. So, no. so just a bit of credit to you. <laughs> I'll stick to maybe, maybe. that. Maybe, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If, if, if that's your path, it's your path. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. Daniel, I think maybe, just, just maybe make a note on this. Um, a future episode idea where we can maybe speak to a forensic drone investigator. I, I don't know about you, but that sounds fascinating to me. Yes, we can definitely arrange something for you. As I said, we've got assessors that we work with that are, are very largely involved in the manned aviation side, but um, they're working on drones a lot, especially on some of the large ROCs and some of the large clients that we've got. So we can definitely set something up and um, I'll get, get the guys to, to join us. That'd be an excellent episode. I can't wait. And thank you for that in advance. Daniel, then, um, you know, there's there's a lot of videos out there and stuff. Have you had, and I saw one the other day, and it, it was actually a bird that flew in. And, and what's interesting about that, um, I've actually heard at some coastal towns, you know, you actually, it's very well known that you don't fly a drone there because, like, legitimately, no pun intended, there are angry birds out there. And they don't like the sight or maybe the smell or the noise that a drone makes. And they legitimately sometimes, it seems, get aggravated and attack drones. Mm. Is this a myth? Have you had any uh, angry bird claims or <laughs> what's happening on your side? Um, I, I wish this was a video, then you could have seen my face now. But uh, unfortunately, bird strikes are real. These are things that we work on on a daily basis. And um, I had large clients lose big equipment, uh, very expensive cameras. Um, but your bird strikes are very, very real. We paid out one, I just, I think, just after lockdown, well, we're still in lockdown, but just after the we, we went into to level three, we paid out one in, in Durban, where uh, an eagle actually took out a, a Inspire 2 with a X5S camera on it, and yeah, drone just stopped. Um, eagle... Unfortunately, we won't know if it got hurt, but these things do happen. Um, animals don't really like drones. In Botswana, for instance, just a story, you can go and look on, on DJI's page where they, they list some of their stories, but um, in Botswana, they use Phantom 3s to actually chase away elephants that come close to, to some of the rural townships, um, especially where they plant 
uh, mealies and, and crop and all of that. So, yeah, drones aren't liked by, by animals. And um, we as insur uh, brokers or our insurance companies also don't like birds. So <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it's a mutual dislike for various reasons. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. And, and, and please keep me posted with strange claims. Um, I'm, I'm looking to actually start blogging on episodes, you know, kind of what I've learned about um, get, do a bit of a deep dive, add a bit more detail around some processes and, and stuff. So most definitely add a sanction, maybe, you know, a weird claim on, on the monthly newsletter that goes out and you can give us some interesting cases that you guys had to work with. Um, speaking of which then, let's segue into that. What's one of the weirdest or strange kind of uh, claims that you've had that had you guys scratching your heads for a bit? So uh, this one happened with a, a very good client, very uh, excellent pilot of ours. Um, Oh, it happened in Joburg, uh, close to Hilborough Towers. And they were doing a, a movie, uh, not a movie, it was actually a music video for, for a band. And they were doing some shots and doing this whole setup there. And he had all his paperwork in place. It's a commercial operator. He had his RPL. He had approval from the CAA because Joburg is actually a complete no-fly zone. Um, so just for him to be there in town, close to Hilborough Towers and... There's a lot of activity in that area. Um, he had to jump through a lot of hoops just to, to do that set. And, um, yeah, again, if it wasn't for the data, I personally don't know how we would have ever approved this claim because it was the weirdest thing we've ever seen. But after we analyzed, or analyzed the, the data, um, we found he was, he was operating at about, I think it was a, a height of about 15 meters, and um, just taking some aerial shots of the, of the band playing, all with the distance and, and, as I said, with approvals and all of that. And um, he went up a little bit higher, and the next moment the drone just stopped, and it cut out, and it came crashing down again, and Inspire with the, another X5S camera. Um, it's not that, that we, we only pay out on them, but we've got a lot of clients that use the Inspire too, uh, it's a fantastic drone, especially for the for the film industry, uh, for small uh, uh, production companies or so. But even our big guys use them. But yeah, so the drone came down and it just crashed and it stopped working. And um, we had the drone picked up and we took it to our repair center, which is here in Pretoria. Henny's Drones. Most of the guys will will know Henny Detlef. And um, yeah, I asked Uncle Henny to please assist us and and check what we can get off the data. And yeah, after analyzing the data, we found that due to him flying so close to Hilbrand Towers, um, I don't know if you know this, but that whole tower is full of microwave uh, beams, which they send around internet uh, bandwidth through and all of that. And yeah, the only conclusion we could have got is that he went into one of these microwave beams and it, it completely fried the, um, the, what do you call it, the flight controller. So we also picked up on the data that it, it picked up a, a strong wireless interference on the data and we read it on the, on the flight logs. So as I said, if it wasn't for the flight logs, we would have never known what happened. But the, the equipment is, is so advanced and the technology is so good that it actually picked up and it wrote there on, on the data that it was a high wireless interference. So that was the only conclusion we could have made. And um, yeah, we, we paid out the claim in full. And my pilot's still flying today. Very happy. <laughs> I'm always happy to hear, you know, that there's, there's happy endings in this world where it comes to all these uh, stories and conspiracies with 5G being bad. Uh, we had a real case now <laughs> where LTE or, or, you know, equipment actually... I wonder, like you said, like was it the transmit or the receiver probably that either got fried or what happened there? That is a very interesting one, Daniel, and thanks for that story. And I like how you started it off. Uh, you started your story with they were taking shots, and I was like, that sounds like a good time. And then I realized just a bit 
on, on the story, you were actually meaning that they actually were taking photos. And I was like, oh, it still sounds like a good time for me because there's drones involved and, and aerial photography, which <laughs> I love as a hobbyist as well. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad the guy got paid out. And, and I think for you guys as well and for the investigators, it's these strange cases where you actually then... Um, do you guys have like a database or a newsletter that goes out to your clients and where you find new things and you actually say, hey, guys, we recently had this case. Always be kind of mindful for uh, cell phone infrastructure to fly too close to them. And I wonder then in that same breath, if you have commercial drones that actually do radio or microwave inspections, you know, do they have some kind of shielding mechanism built in or how does that work? I think that's also kind of a fascinating one i don't know if you know but yeah that that would be something nice that'd be an interesting topic to cover with a company that actually do these uh, inspections uh if, if they can maybe cover that that should be an interesting topic to talk about no i definitely agree i'm as i said i'm the i'm the insurance guy i'm not the drone manufacturer guy uh, we, we repair <laughs> yes, drones sure. and we, we, we don't sell drones, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, yeah, for it, sure. it, it's definitely something, I know there are fantastic equipment out there that they do inspections with, uh, DJI have some excellent platforms, um, and there's a lot of outside uh, multi-rotors that, that they also use. Uh, mostly when it comes to inspections, all of the drones will be will be multi-rotors because you need to have, you need to spend some time around that area, whereas a fixed wing, it's more for open areas and, and all of that. So no, I agree, Carter, there's definitely some scope for that. And um, to find out about about more better equipment to, to check these things, I think that'll be great. Yeah, we can maybe get a company in that to do an episode about infrastructure inspections and uh, find out what they are doing to protect their craft and their pilots, you know, from from these kind of things. I take it they probably know a lot about the potential hazards of a very strong signal bombarding the craft and the kind of measures they take. I think that should be an interesting topic in itself. No, definitely. I think we need to set that up. I'll see if we can talk to some of our ROCs and get some of them involved and get them signed up here with you. That'd be good, man. That'd be good. It'd be a great episode. Um, yeah, that was that was an interesting story. And then then I have to ask you uh, one another question, Daniel. What does the drone insurance landscape look like these days? I mean, you guys have been, let's call it as it is. You are pioneers in the field, probably leaders as well, because you've been doing it for a while. So that that gives huge advantages. What does the landscape look like these days? What are you seeing happening there? So under the commercial space, we've got uh, I think close to about four, four big insurance companies that, that's going into the space. Some of the guys are, are touching on it, but most of them struggle to, to do the aviation liability section. Everybody can insure a drone uh, for theft or maybe accidental damage, but as soon as it comes to the third party liability section of the policy, we found a lot of uh, insurers want to cover this, but are not geared for it. So we work with, with excellent insurers um, and most of the ROCs are insured with them and I can mention their name because they also were one of the biggest pioneers and are the biggest um, insurer when it comes to drones. Their name is I2 Special Risk. Uh, we've got a great relationship with them and together we build a product that, that suits the industry. When it comes to the, the hobbyist section, um, as I said, this started out end of 2018. Everybody wanted to get insurance for it because your your personal lines policies, your your small or not your big insurance companies, but most of them excluded this cover. So under the the, the recreational side, there's more space for for there's not a lot of insurers that do it. Um, I personally know of of, of T, uh, TPI and um, also of Pineapple that I also see is doing this. But again, when it comes to drone insurance, make sure you read your policy schedule. Um, we find a lot of commercial companies that come through to us and ask us different quotations. And yeah, we have to ask where are they currently insured. And you'll find on their policy schedule that they've got a, a Matrice 600 
and they've got 150,000 rand worth of batteries on the policy, but there's no liability insurance. So number one, you're in breach immediately of your CAA rules and regulations. So it's very important that the guys read their, their policy schedules and my door is always open. If you just want to find out um, what we think or just want to find out about is there options for you when it comes to drone insurance, um, please give us a call and um, we'll always assist where we can. Okay, that, that's good to know. And obviously, we'll, we'll leave the, your details, your contact details in the show notes or your, your website of your business. And then, uh, yeah, clients can get hold of you. And feel free to refer Daniel or tell him that, you know, you heard of him from the podcast. And I'll show you look after you a bit better than he usually would. But I think as I know, Daniel, he probably does that already right off the bat um, without any issue. And then, Daniel, I think one last thing, if we're going to close, what advice would you give uh, potential recreational pilots or, or commercial drone pilots? What, 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 why do they need insurance? Why is it important to wrap it all up, what we've said? And, um, yeah, not, not, not end up like I almost did, like by crashing my drone on day two. So, yeah, for, for the hobbyist guys, I firstly want to say, guys, go and enjoy your drone. Um, it's an awesome technology and it's an awesome tool. Go and enjoy it. Um, spend time learning your skills and developing more and more of what you can do. But always be safe. Look after what you do. Um, be safe. Be vigilant. Educate yourself on where you can fly and enjoy it. And if you, if you don't know, ask, ask people. There are a lot of people in this industry. If you struggle with something, just, just ask. Um, I found that the drone community is very open and um, the guys are very keen to, to share some photos and, and look at what uh, settings should I have used in, in this side. For the commercial side, as I started this podcast, I said it's a total animal. So for them, I can just say, guys, keep your heads up, keep working. Uh, I know it's tough. There's a lot of rules coming through for the for the ROCs, changes that, that's been made um, in the CAA. So, yeah, you guys are the pioneers. You guys are the, the, the backbone of this industry. And, um, yeah, always make sure that you have the proper insurance from our side. Look after your, your equipment. Make sure it's serviced and um, have well-trained pilots. You can never be... Uh, trained enough so yeah from our side um we love this industry we we love where it's going it's it's a very very uh, informative and a fast-growing industry but um yeah always be safe look look at what you what you may do and way, what you may not do and um just enjoy it um you're doing something nobody else is doing and that's that's amazing that, that's for me one thing that you mentioned there are a few good points Daniel and thank you for making them um, is how how good the drone community is um, lots of informative groups on social media um, that's that's very active and I have asked many questions and I found that the community is quite active good information there and usually they drop a few links in for referencing as well so a, a very good constructive community as a whole and um, yeah I think it's important what you said enjoy your drone if you're a hobbyist and the guys that are doing commercial things and, and good things and, and, and changing up the game with how they approach uh, problems or challenges by using drone technology they, they are the game changers like you say they are the pioneers so a big shout out to everyone making a big change and you know, using drones to solve complex problems. Um, from my side, I think that's my shout out on this show. And that's awesome, Carter. Um, as I said, it's an amazing industry and it's just growing and it's just coming bigger. But from our side, from the Unicorn Insurance Broker side, I want to thank you for this time. Um, spent an hour with you and um, it was very fun to chat about the industry, what it's doing, where it's going and um, look forward to, to many more. I oh, know for sure. I'll definitely have you back, Donald. I think there's a lot um, 
that we can cover. And as you get new questions or things change in the market, you know, feel free to drop in, give us a bit of an update, um, especially from an insurance perspective. If regulation changes, you know, come onto the show, tell us what it means from an insurance perspective. And you can be our two, a go-to guy with all things drones insurance. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely here. You can just give me a call anytime. Excellent, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, everyone, keep flying safe. And if you need some insurance, hit up Daniel. I'll put all the show notes uh, below the show so you will have access to all the resources and all the topics that we talked about. From my side, cheers, everybody. Cheers, Daniel, and thank you for your time. Thanks, Carter. Enjoy your evening. All the best. Cheers. You too, man. Cheers.